Hey guys, good evening. Glad that you're here tonight. Uh, I was talking, actually I was texting my oldest friend this week. Uh, not oldest like he's old, but oldest like we've been friends for the longest. So uh, he, so we used to have a trailer park and we lived next to the trailer park and their family moved into the trailer park when I was two years old and he was four years old. And so uh, I remember his, his mom, like I remember this, his mom bringing him over to introduce us to, to like me, right? And, uh, and we were fast friends. Like he and I growing up spent, no joke, probably every day together. Like we hung out all the time. I would, I would pick up the phone and I'd call, there used to be phones on walls, right? They were connected to walls. I'd pick up the phone and I'd call and say, can Robbie come out and play? Yeah, Robbie come out and play. He'd call me, can Jeff come out and play? And we, it, was, it was fun for me this week, just like remembering back to some of the fun stuff that we used to do, like ride our bikes all around. We'd build these ramps. We'd crash our bikes. Like it was amazing, you know. We, we, behind our house, um, we had like these, we called it the weeds. There was actually like this field that was like grown up and uh, some trees and brush back there. And we'd have like mud fights. We'd build forts. I mean, it was... When Back to the Future came out, we all got skateboards, and we would ride our skateboards around. Like, we had an incredible time. And I remember, this is so funny, I texted him about this this week. This is so funny. I remember when we were, like, elementary age. I was elementary age. She was probably just into middle school. You know, you get older, your conversations change a little bit, right, with your friends. And so um, we would... (laughs) So at the, at the park, so at the trailer park, there were these, uh, there were wells, that's how we got our water, and so there were these pump houses, we called them, these just kind of little white buildings. And so we would climb up on the pump house, on, on the roof of the pump house, and just like lay there, like we thought we were really cool, and we'd talk. And when we talked, we always talked about three things. This is so stupid. This is so stupid. Well, so we, we uh, three things, God, girls, and flicks. God, girls, and movies. Like, that's what we talked about as middle schoolers for hours on end. I texted him this week. I was like, hey, you remember when we were just like hang out and talk about God, girls, and flicks? Like, who does that as a middle schooler, you know? It's amazing. Like, he's a great guy. And I remember when uh, we were about 30. I was probably a little, a little less than 30. He was about 30. Uh, and he called me, and he said, I have cancer. And uh, I remember just dropping everything, you know, he lived in Canton at the time, and just driving over there and hanging out with, with him and his family, his young family, he had two young girls at that time, you know, and just being with them and praying with them. And I remember in my own life, like, hard times that I had that he was there for me, you know, like I knew um, when I needed Rob, he was always a phone call away, he was always a phone call away. And uh, praise God, he you know, made it through the cancer. And even today, you know, he's, I don't know, 300 miles away, something like that, and, uh, in, uh, just outside of Cincinnati in, into Kentucky. And uh, I know that if I ever need him, if I ever need him, I could pick up the phone and call, and he would be there for me. And I think about that, and I think, man, it's just, it's good to have friends, you know? Like, it's so good to have friends. I was reading this study um, this past week, and they said in 1980, in 1980, the average number of close friends that people had, so like confidants, outside of their family, 
was three. Like the average person had three close friends outside of their family in 1980. Today, um, it's down 33%, it's down to two, which you go, ah, I, I could kind of see that. But here's what, was, here's what like caught my eye with this. In the survey, it said that 25% of people, 20, one fourth of people have no one, no one that they consider to be a true friend. I think about that, I think, wow. You know, like, I, I guess we could go through life that way, you know, without, like, any true friends. But how much of a life would it really be, you know? And, and you know, I, I think it can be hard sometimes to find good, deep friend to build good, deep friendships. We don't just find friendships, right? Like, good friendships. It takes work. It takes time to build those friendships. And sometimes that could be really hard. It could be hard to find, you know, people that we connect to in a deep, personal way. And you think, why is that? You know, like, why is that? Is that me? Is that other people? How, how can I be somebody who has good, deep, meaningful friendships with people, right? And how can I be a good friend to other people? That's, that's what I want to talk about this weekend. I want to kind of dig in to this idea of friendship um, for us in our lives today. So we're starting this new series. We, uh, we just finished a series, uh, the longest series that we've ever done on uh, the life of Jesus. So we started it before Memorial Day and we ended it right after uh, Labor Day just last weekend. We kind of just dug it. We, we pulled back and we said, who is Jesus? You know, we dug into his life, the things he said, the things that he did. And we said, what can we learn about who he is and what it means for us to be followers of him? And so we, we wrapped that series up last week. And then this week we're starting this new series called It's Not You, It's Me, which again, of course, is a statement that like we don't want to hear from somebody that we have a relationship with, right? It's not you, it's me. And yet that statement is uh, a powerful statement because it really highlights something that's very important for us in our relationships. You know what that is? us, right? It's not you, it's me. You and I, our responsibility in our relationships. Like sometimes when we think about the different relationships, so, so think broader than just friendships right now. Sometimes when we think about relationships that we're in, it can be really frustrating for us, you know, because we look at the other person and we're like, why did they do that? You know, or why did they say that? Or why didn't they, you know, whatever it is. And you think we cannot control the kind of friend that somebody else is, right? I can't control the kind of boyfriend or girlfriend or parent or spouse or what brother or sister or whatever it is, somebody else is. I can't control that. But I can control myself, right? Like I can control the kind of friend that I am to other people. I can control the kind of parent that I am to my son and to my daughter. I can control the kind of brother or sister that we are. And we think, and we could also understand what God's desire is for our relationships. Like what does God, as we pick this up and as we read this, we go, what does God want us to do? Like how does he want us to, to care for other people? How does he want us to love other people? How does he want us to forgive other people? How does he want us to support, to encourage other people, right? Other, others that we have a relationship with. And, and I think this is probably important to say. I think it's interesting that you and I, one of the things that the Bible is really clear on is that you and I were made in the image of God, right? You and I are made in the image of God. So the Bible talks about that. And it's kind of like um, our, our son and our daughter, we have two kids, our son and our daughter are made in the image of me and my wife, right? 
Like they, are, they, ha- they share certain similarities with us because they're made in our image. They're our children. And similarly, we share certain similarities with God. And one really fascinating thing about God is that God is a relational God, right? Like think about, so, so one of the, the hard uh, concepts for us to, to wrap our minds around as Christians is that God eternally exists as one God but three persons, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And think about this. God is always in perfect relationship with himself, right? One God, but three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is always in perfect relationship with himself all the time, and he's a relational God. And you and I are made similarly. You and I are made in his image. And so just like God is inherently a relational God, uh, always in relationship with himself, you and I made in his image are made for relationships. Like you and I are made to be in relationship with other people. And when we don't have that, when we don't have deep, meaningful relationships with other people, we feel it. Like something's missing in our lives, right? So God is a relational God. You and I are made in his image. You and I are made to be in relationships. When we don't have deep, meaningful relationships in our lives, we feel it. We know something is wrong here. Something's out of whack. Something's missing. So I think it's important for us as we talk about this whole idea of relationships over these next few weeks to, to begin to like wrap our mind around that. I am made as a human being to be in relationship with other human beings. And so as we talk about relationships over these next few weeks, I have, I have a couple things that, like kind of big overarching themes that I want us to begin to process and think through and filter our relationships through, okay? So um, here's a question. What determines how you and I conduct ourselves in our relationships? Like think broadly, lots of different, so our, our family relationships, you know, our friend relationships, romantic relationships, relationships with difficult people, relationships with strangers. Like what determines how you and I, as we sit here in church this morning, how you and I conduct ourselves in those relationships? Think about that. You know what the answer is? The gospel. The gospel. So think of it this way. For the Christian, for the Christian, the gospel drives the way that I live in relationships. For, for somebody who says, who identifies as a Christian, if you sit here this morning and you're like, yes, that's why I'm here. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I'm investigating all of this. I'm not there yet, that's cool. Like relax and just kind of be and listen. Um, but maybe you sit here this morning and you're like, I am a Christian. I, I am a follower of Jesus. If you're a Christian, the gospel should drive the way that we live in our relationships. And guys, I'll tell you what, if, if there's like nothing else, I hope you get other stuff from this morning, but if there's nothing else that you get from this morning, if we could begin to wrap our minds around this one thing, the gospel drives the way that I live in relationships. Really, the gospel drives everything in my life. If we could begin to wrap our mind around that, it will change our lives. It will change our lives. And let me explain a little bit about what I mean by that. So the way that I treat other people is driven by the gospel working in my life. The way that I care for other people is driven by the gospel working in my life. The way that I forgive other people is driven by the gospel. The way that I love other people is driven by the gospel. The gospel drives everything. And so the way that I relate in general to other people is driven by the gospel. When we get that, it revolutionizes our life. Why? What is the gospel? 
That's really important. That's a, that's, that is like the fundamental question of Christianity. What is the gospel? Well, let's take a step back and like let's, let's examine just in, in, let me get, in two minutes, let me just share what the gospel is, and then we'll talk a little bit more about how that drives our relationships. So what is the gospel? The gospel is good news. That's actually what the word means. It's inherently good news. And what is it the good news of? Well, it's the good news of unconditional love. Like I can be very, very confident. I, I'll make a broad sweeping statement for us, right? And I can be very, very confident that it's true for every single one of us, every single one of us in this room. Here's what it is. You and I are unconditionally loved by God. You are deeply and unconditionally loved by him. No matter what we've done, if you're like me, you've done rotten things in your life. You've made bad decisions. No matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, I have said some deeply hurtful things to people. No matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter what we haven't done, no matter what we've done poorly, you are absolutely loved by the God of the universe. And yet, we know ourselves, right? If we're honest, we, look, we can look at our lives and go, okay, that's awesome, I'm loved, and yet I also know that I do some things regularly that are pretty unlovely, right? Like, I've got some unlovely parts of me. There's parts, there's things that I do, there's things that I say that I continue to do and say that are, that are uh, contrary to who God is, right? That are unlovely to a perfect, holy, righteous, good God, and those things in our life are called sin. You struggle with it and I struggle with it. We're all on the same page with that. And sin is very unlovely to God. And yet, this is a beautiful part of the gospel. And yet, he still loves us. He, he still loves me. He still loves you. And he actually desires to forgive us of those things rather than condemn us. This is what the gospel is. He actually desires to change us and transform us rather than just push us away. He actually desires to be merciful to us instead of being vengeful to us. He actually desires to give us what we don't deserve instead of what we do deserve. And so that's why God the Son became a perfect human being in Jesus, to take the punishment that you and I deserve and to change us from the inside out through a relationship with him. This is what the gospel is. You love by God. You're a screw up. <laughs> so am I. Yet you're still loved by God. He doesn't want to give us deep judgment, vengeful judgment. He wants to forgive us. That's why he sent his son. And then you and I got to do something with that. Do we go, yes, I want to be forgiven. I want to be in relationship with you. Or do we go, no, thanks. I'm not interested in any of that. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says things like this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you are still doing rotten things, and I am still doing rotten things, Christ loves us, and he died for us, right? How about this, James 4, 8? Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Like if you want to, to be near to God, we can have it, right? If we don't, we can keep him at an arm's distance. I, I love this one. This is the, the end of our Bible. It's Revelation, Revelation three twenty. This is Jesus talking. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That sounds a lot like relationship, doesn't it? Like you, you eat with people that you have a relationship with. And so think of it this way. When we have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, that relationship then affects every other relationship in my life. 
every other relationship in my life. Like when I get it, when I understand how deeply God loves me, even in spite of myself, and he offers me forgiveness and compassion and mercy and grace and all of these things, when I get it, it affects every other relationship in my life. And so the way that God loves me unconditionally drives the way that I love other people. The way that God is gracious to me drives the way that I extend grace to other people. The way that God is forgiving to me drives the way that I show forgiveness to other people. The way that God is long-suffering for me, patient for me, drives the way that I am patient with other people. And here's the thing, no longer, and this is hard, guys, no longer then do I have the right to hold on to anger. No longer do I have the right to hold on to frustration. No longer do I have the right to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. Why? Because God doesn't hold on to those things with me. Like he has forgiven me so deeply and so profoundly that I have no right to hold on to those things that other people have done to me that have hurt me, that they need forgiveness from. So the gospel drives the way that I do relationships. It drives the way that I live in relationships. No matter what those relationships are, no matter who those relationships are with, whether it's family relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, relationships like new relationships with strangers, right? The gospel drives the way that I do relationships. If we could get that, man, if we could wrap our mind around that, I'm gonna talk about that every week. I'm just warning you now. I'm gonna talk about that every week in this series because it is so fundamental for you and me in every single one of our relationships. The gospel, as I wrap my mind around the gospel, it drives the way that I live in relationships. So, so that's one like, kind of big categorical truth that I want us to get. Let me, let me give us another um, for, for you really to chew on as, as we talk about relationships. Um, this, I, I, I think this applies as well to every single one of the relationships that we're in. Okay, and it has to do with the relationship between spiritual maturity and our view of ourselves. Okay, and so here it is. See if you agree with this. As our spiritual maturity increases, selflessness increases. In fact, you could just throw that up on the screen if you would, Ruth. As our spiritual maturity increases, selflessness increases. As our spiritual immaturity increases, selfishness increases right you guys tracking with that let me let me explain a little bit here's what i mean by that as my relationship with god deepens as i wrap my mind around the gospel right and my relationship with god deepens i become more spiritually mature and as i become more spiritually mature me and my needs and my wants and my desires become much less important not unimportant but less important right and then my life becomes much less about me and it becomes much more about God and other people. And conversely, when my relationship with God is shallow, when it's superficial, well, then I'm more spiritually immature, right? And, and then my needs and my wants and my desires become much more important. And then guess what? Life's much more about me than it is about other people or God. So, so how do we apply that then to our relationships? Well, when our relationship with God is deeper, then I'm gonna be more spiritually mature. My spiritual maturity is gonna be greater and then I'm gonna be more selfless. And guess what? I'll be a better friend. I'll be a better husband. 
I'll be a better brother. I'll be a better son, right? And conversely, again, when my relationship with God is more superficial, I'm going to be more spiritually immature. I'm going to get a little bit more selfish, right? And I will not be as good of a friend or a daddy or a husband or a son, right? That's just how it is. What, what happens when I'm spiritually immature and I'm selfish in relationships? You, you ever been in a, in a relationship like that? People are needy, aren't they? Like if I'm selfish and immature in my relationship with someone, I'll use my wife as an example, I'm going to be really needy in that relationship. And how many relationships do you have in your life with people that are really needy that you go, man, I want to hang out with them more. I want to spend more time with them. Like I cannot get enough of them. Like that's not how it works, right? It, it, it actually repulses us. It's just part of being a human being. It repulses us, it pushes us away. And so there's, of course, exceptions to this rule, but I think this is very true. So as we start talking about the different types of relationships in our lives, I want you to begin to filter them through, through those two concepts that we talked about. Number one, the gospel drives the way that I live in relationships, okay? Like, hold on to that, chew on that this week. And number two, as spiritual maturity increases, selflessness increases, so basically what we're saying is uh, the, the health of our relationship with other people is based on, is directly related to and based on the health of our relationship with God. And so if you look at your life and you're like, man, I got lousy relationships, like just broadly, not just friendships, but lousy relationships. My challenge to you would be, what does your relationship with God look like? Like how much do you know him? Do you understand how much he loves you? Do you understand how much he forgives you of? Do you understand that he, he, if you allow him in and spend time with him, he's going to work in your life and he's going to change you, right? Okay, so let's start talking specifically about friendship. Do uh, you, you ever think about this question? I think it's a good question. I didn't give it a whole lot of thought until this week. What do you think makes a good friend a good friend? Like, like begin, to, begin to think through that. You should think, let's be specific about friendships right now. Like, think about good friends in your life. What, what makes a good friend a good friend? Like, as I, as I think about friendship, I got, uh, like, a lot of different kinds of friends. Like, no, no two of my friends are the same. You know, it's like they're, they're different. Every friendship is different. One of the, one of the guys that I, I really respect, pastor out in the Chicago area, a guy named Bill Hybels, he talks, he kind of categorizes friendships in three different ways. I think this is kind of helpful to think through. Um, the first one is circumstantial friends. You can just put all those up there. The first one is circumstantial friends right? The second one is seasonal friends, and the third one is lifelong friends. Let me explain what they are. So circumstantial friends are friends that we have due to certain circumstances in our lives, right? And so maybe you work with, you know, certain people. Maybe you um, live beside somebody. They're your neighbor. Maybe you go to school with certain people, right? Or you're on the same sports team. And so the circumstances dictate you spend a lot of time together and you develop a friendship that way. So when I lived in Florida, I've had lots of different circumstantial friends. I, I lived in Florida for a time and I, and I worked, this is a great job. I worked in the mall, it was a mall job. It's like the, you know, it's interesting. It's like this whole subculture community. And, and when I, I, I didn't know a whole lot of people when I moved down there. And so I worked at Radio Shack in the mall and it was awesome. But like my friends were the people that worked in the mall. Like that was, that was the circumstances that we were all in. And so we hung out a lot together. It was like what it was. And then we have seasonal friends. These are, these are friends kind of similarly during a particular season of our life. And I think I've had lots of different seasonal friends. You know, when I was in elementary school, I had a certain group of friends that I hung out with for that season of my life. Middle school, similarly. High school, college, right? 
I, I have this one friend who, um, it's interesting, he, I hadn't talked to him for a long time, and during this particularly difficult season of my life, in my early 20s, it was like all of a sudden he popped into my life, and he was there for me. I mean, it was bizarre. I, had, I probably hadn't seen him for, for years and years and years, and he sort of popped into my life, and he was there for me for this season that I, it, it was terrible. It was terrible, and the, and the friendship that he gave me during that time was paramount in me being able to walk through that valley in my life. It's interesting. So we, have, so we have circumstantial friends, we have seasonal friends, I bet you do too, and then we have lifelong friends, right? Friends that, that sort of uh, uh, are your friends throughout all of the changing seasons of life, all of the changing circumstances of life, friends like my friend Rob that I described to you at the beginning. And so, yeah, think about like good friends. What makes a good friend a good friend? I think through like these categories of friends. I, I was reading what, how some of the other uh, experts, I don't know, uh, define and describe friendship. And, I, and I, I, there's a lot of insight here. So like one guy, Tim Keller says, friends will always let you in, but never let you down. I, I like that, you know? They're always gonna let you in. You got, you got an issue, they're gonna, they, come here, you know? And they're never gonna let you down. I think it's really good. A guy named Andy Stanley says, friendship includes three things, enjoyment, acceptance, and mutual concern. I think that's good. I, th I think there's a lot of truth to that. Three things, enjoyment, acceptance, and mutual concern. A guy named J.D. Greer says, he talks about friendship, and uh, he talks about three things, care, influence, and intimacy. Care, influence, and intimacy. And so I look at my life, and God has... God has blessed me with a lot of really good friends over, over the course of my life. Some of them are still friends to this day. Some of them aren't. But God has given me a lot of, like, far more than what I deserve. And so as I think about, like, these guys in my life that have just been excellent friends to me, and I think about some of the qualities of that friendship that they exhibited that I look at and I go, I want to incorporate that into my own life. You know, like I love that they were this way with me. I want to incorporate that into my own life. There's some things that jump out to me. Like they're faithful to me, you know. Like these are, these are guys that, were com that have been committed to me. They were caring to me. They were encouraging to me when I was dealing with hard stuff. Uh, they were fun, which is, which is an important part of friendship, right? Like that you, you can just be stupid and be yourself and have a good time with people. We, we share common interests together, shared perspectives together. You know, these are guys that were honest with me. Like, we need people that can be bluntly honest with us, right? It's not always easy to find people that will be honest with us. These are guys that were gracious to me, forgiving to me. And so as I think about all these qualities, I'm like, what makes a good friend a good friend? And I think about all of these qualities of friendship, you know, by the experts and what they say. I think about my friends and their lives and the, and the, the, good, the good things that they exhibited to me in friendship. All of these things share like one quality. As I look at them categorically, they share one quality for me. All of these qualities of friendship are very selfless, aren't they? I guess just... Like, what do, what do I love about these guys that have been good friends to me over the years? Well, they've been very selfless in their friendship. And so what is good friendship? I'd sum it up this way. Friendship is preferring others over myself. I think about that. Friendship, good friendship, is preferring others over myself. And as I think about that, and I start to think, like, what does God desire in our friendships? I think this is very much what God desires of us. It reminded me of what um, a guy named Paul says. He's writing to a, a, the Philippians, a group of people, Christians living in Philippi. And this is what he says to them in Philippians chapter 2. 
He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I love that. Rather, in humility, value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but to the interests of others. And then Paul goes on right after that, and he talks about Jesus. And basically what he says is, be like Jesus is. What's Jesus like? He was a servant. He was very selfless. He was very humble. Let me ask you, what sort of difference do you think it would make in your relationships, in your friend, let's be specific with friendships. What sort of difference do you think it would make in your friendships, regardless of how they act? Again, we can't control them. We can't control what they say or do or don't do or any of that. What sort of difference do you think it would make if you, in those friendships, were a servant to them? If you were selfless to them? if you were humble with them, if you preferred them over ourselves. That's not easy, is it? Like that, is, that is challenging. And yet, I think that's what God calls us to in our friendships. I, I was reading, um, as I was reading about friendship this week, one of the guys that I was reading this article, he referenced this, uh, this study, a 2007 study that was in the New England Journal of Medicine. And it, the, the study was, this is, I just think this is interesting. It was researching the connection between weight gain and relationships. Like you guys know, if, you, if you're a regular here, you know how much I love donuts, which are always a temptation for me. So, that, so this piqued my interest, right? Like weight gain and our relationships. And what it found was uh, that the friend relationship was the most telling when it came to gaining weight. And, and here's kind of what the study was about. If you or your spouse, I'm sorry, if your spouse or your adult sibling gained weight, then you had a 40% higher chance of also gaining weight. I'm like, hmm, interesting. However, if your friend, a good friend of yours gained weight, you had a 60% higher chance of also gaining weight. I think, whoa, like that is telling right there, right? So, so if like your BFF starts to think every day is donut appreciation day, you may want to have a conversation with them, right? See, see, here's the thing, whether we like it or not, whether we realize it or not, our friendships shape who we are, right? Whether we like it or not, whether we realize it or not, our friendships shape who we are. And, I, and, and they just do. You know, I think, about if, if, I think if we're honest with ourselves and we think about it, we, we instinctively know that, right? A guy named Craig Rochelle, I, I thought this was, was fascinating and true. Uh, he said, you're the average of your five closest friends. If four of your closest buddies were stoned last night, chances are you were too. If, but if four of your best friends are passionately following Jesus, you probably are as well. I think, I agree. I, I think that's true. I've seen, I've seen that as true in my own life, the influence that my friends have had on me, and I've seen it true in other people's lives. So, so and the Bible talks about it too. The Bible says it this way. It says, uh, Proverbs, by the way, if you're, if you're like wanting to dig into relationships and friendships specifically, the book of Proverbs says tons of stuff about friendship. You could Google, if you Google Friendship and Bible, like a zillion things come up. A lot of it's in Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 20 says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I think it's true. They shape who we are. 
Proverbs 22, 24 to 25 says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. I think that's true, right? Uh, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, is very blunt. He's very clear with it. He just says, very simply, he says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. It's true. Like the friends, our friendships shape who we are. We're shaped by others. And, and I think it's happened since the very beginning of time, right? Like even, I'm, I'm only half joking with this, but like even you go back to Adam and Eve, like life is going pretty good until they started hanging out with the serpent, right? All of a sudden, like <laughs> everything changed, right? So here's a question. Who are your friends in your life? Who are, like who are you spending all your time with? You know, maybe it's one person, maybe it's two people, maybe it's five people. How, like, take a sober look at those friendships and ask yourself the question, how are they shaping you? How are they shaping you positively? And how are they shaping you negatively? Like, by the way, no one is saying that you and I shouldn't have friendships with people that are hurting, that are struggling, that are making bad decisions, that are apart from Jesus. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I'm saying is if that's all the people that we hang out with, if that's what all of our time, all of our friendships are about, we better watch out and we better be careful. By the way, this is why this is one of our values here. We share life together. And, and this is why we do grace groups here. We talk about grace groups. Grace groups are like our small groups. Like we, we, we want to smush people that want to grow in their relationship with Jesus together so that we encourage each other together so that we challenge each other together. And we need it, I don't know about you, but I have had times in my life when I have not had um, like close Christian community. And I'll tell you what, I struggled. I struggled and it's it's normal, that's what happens. The people that we hang out with, the people that we spend time with influence us and they shape us. And And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you one more question. In what ways are you shaping the people that you hang out with? Like how are they shaping you Conversely, how are you shaping them? How, how are you shaping them positively? How are you shaping them in negative ways? Uncomfortable question, but I think it's an important question to ask. Even just like, well, I'm not doing anything bad. I'm not, sh- I'm not literally like being a negative influence with them, but I don't know if I'm being a very positive influence. I don't know that I'm really challenging people to consider like what difference the gospel makes in their lives. It's a good question to ask ourselves. Let me ask you this. You ever think about what life would be like if we didn't have any friends? Like what, what life would be like if we were alone? You know, you didn't have other relationships in your life. Like, can you imagine how awful that would be? If you, if you didn't have anybody, if you didn't have any friendships, like there's a reason when you're bad in prison, they put you in a place called solitary confinement. It's punishment, right? That is not a pleasant experience. And there's a reason that they're not allowed to leave you in solitary confinement too long. You know why? You get weird. It's, it's not good for us. It's not good for us when we're alone too long. We go crazy. Like literally, we lose our mind. Why is that? Because we're not meant to be alone. We're, we're not meant to be that way. We're meant to be people that are in relationship with others. Let me ask you this. Do you know, do you know what the first human crisis was? in the Bible. I, I, this, is, this is interesting too. According to the Bible, the very first crisis in the history of mankind was loneliness. It's loneliness. And so before Eve, the very first woman was created, 
God made Adam. And Adam, there was, no, there was no Eve yet at that point. Adam was alone and he was lonely. And you know what God said about that? Genesis 2.18, you know what God said? It's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And so what does he do? Well, he creates Eve. Because you and I were made to be in relationships. Whether you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. Guys, we could be rotten about this. You know, we could be like lone rangers and be like, I don't need nobody. I'm really tough. I'm really strong. I don't need relationships. That's a lie. Or I've had other people come to me and say, uh, like, like literally in conversations, uh, I just don't like people. I'm not a people person. That's garbage. No, we are all people people. <laughs> people persons, I don't know. Like, that's how God made us to be. I like how um, a guy named C.S. Lewis, he's talking about friendship. So He was so insightful. He said, friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that gives value to survival. You don't have to have friendships. It has no survival value. But man, does it give value to our lives. See, I would say it very simply. I'd say, friendships make my life better. Friendships make my life better. And they do. They, they make life more meaningful. They make life fuller. This is like one of the things, like, I, I was talking to somebody before service. I'm like, I, hopefully, like, as, I, as we talk about all this stuff every week, I'm excited and passionate about everything that we talk about. But guys, friendship, in, in, my, in my economy, like in my value system, Friendship is huge. Like you and I have to have friendships. It makes life better, so much better. Like, like think about the last time you got some really good news about something, whatever it is, like really good news. Like, man, I just got an A in class or I just got you know, a promotion in my job, whatever it is. What's the first thing you wanted to do with that good news? Keep it a secret and keep it to yourself and not tell anybody? No, right? You want to call somebody up and say, man, look at what happened to me. Or guess, guess what's going on in my life. Like we want to share it with other people. See, the Bible talks about how friendships make our life better too. Again, back in, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 9, it says the heartfelt counsel of a friend is the sweetest perfume and incense. Like when we need the counsel, the wisdom of a friend and we get that, it's beautiful. Sweetest perfume, sweet as incense. Uh, verse 6 in that same chapter, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. And when we got a friend, a sincere friend, a true friend that's willing to be honest with us and, and say things that he, he or she knows are going to hurt us, it's actually really good for us. Ecclesiastes 4, maybe you've heard this in the context of, of uh, like marriage. I, in fact, I've used this in some weddings, but it's not just for marriage relationships. It's also for friendships. It says two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can, lift, can help him up. But pity the man who falls down and has no one to help him up. See, friends make life better and, and they make me better too, right? So it, like, it makes my life better, but guys, it, it helps me. I, in my notes, I wrote, it, they make me holier. Like, friendships make me holier. You know why? Because they give me an outlet to live out the stuff that it's talked about in here. Let me make a really strong statement that at first some of you might disagree with, but I, I think as you think about it, it'll make sense. Here it is. I cannot live as a Christian in isolation. 
you and I cannot be Christians, like live as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, somebody who said yes to Jesus, like living the stuff in here, we cannot do it alone. It's impossible, you know why? Because so much of the stuff that Jesus says live this way involves other people. Like we have to have relationships with other people. And so friendships are one of those beautiful things that it makes us holier. It gives us grounds to live out our faith, to live sacrificially, to put other people's needs ahead of my own, to forgive others that have hurt me, to love other people unconditionally, even when I don't want to, right? Like it gives us a grounds to do that. So not only does it make life better, but it makes me better as a Christian. So, so let me say this. Let me, let me kind of end one last thing before we, before we wrap it up here. We said earlier, we said God is a relational God, right? So God is inherently in relationship with himself, but he's not just in relationship with himself. God doesn't just desire a relationship with himself, but he actually desires a relationship with you and me. And so I think of it this way. God wants to be my friend, and God wants to be your friend, as we talk about friendships, earlier we said, man, the gospel drives the way that I live in relationships, right? God loves you. And he doesn't want to just be our heavenly father who's distant and removed from us. He wants to have a deep, intimate relationship with us. He wants to have a friendship with us. Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That friend is God. Jesus said in John 15, he says, greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I think Jesus came so that you and I could be friends with God, so that we could have a deep, meaningful relationship with God. God desires to be your friend, to be in deep, meaningful relationship with you. And just like, this is the beautiful part of it, just like any other relationship, when we spend time with our friend, it shapes us, right? It's the same thing with God. The more time that we spend with him, he shapes us. He changes us from the inside out. We start to love things that God loves. We start to hate things that God hates, right? That's how it works. He, he shapes us and he changes us from the inside out. And you know what else he does? He gives us a greater capacity to be good friends with other people. It's beautiful. So, so here, let me end this way. Let me end uh, just with a few questions for you to consider. The first one is, is this. I just want to challenge you to consider what it looks like for you to be a friend of God. And I, I think that's where it all starts. We look at our lives and we're like, man, my relationships stink. It's terrible. Are you a friend of God? Like, have you wrapped your mind around the good news of the gospel? That God loves you in spite of yourself and that he sent Jesus to die for you. And maybe you sit here this morning and you're like, I, no, I'm not even a friend of God. Like, I'm thinking about it. I'm questioning all of this stuff. Well, maybe today's the day you go, I'm going to say yes to that friendship. I, I, I want to get to know him. I want to be a friend of God. Or maybe you sit here this morning and you're like, I said yes. I mean, I made, I made friends with God a long time ago, but I haven't talked to him in a while. He's like a distant friend. He's a long lost friend. Well, maybe today's the day you go, I'm going to rekindle that friendship. I'm going to spend more time with him. I'm going to, I'm going to hang out with God much more. Or, or maybe you sit here this morning and you're like, yeah, I, I am a close friend of God. Like I spend a lot of time with him. 
And I just want to encourage you, continue to lean into that. Like whatever that looks like for you, to continue to lean into that. Let me ask you a second question. What does it look like for you in your life to allow the gospel to drive the way that you live in your relationships? Like what does it look like for you to allow the gospel to drive the way that you love people? You go, man, I am, un- I am deeply and unconditionally loved by God. I'm going to show that same love to other people man, I am so forgiven by God. Like, I, I remember all of the rotten stuff I've done, right? And so I'm going to be very, very forgiving with other people. God has been so gracious to me. I'm going to be gracious with other people. What does it look like for you in your life to allow the gospel to drive the way you live in your relationships? And then the last question, like, who are the people in your life? As you do an inventory of your relationships, who are the people that are influencing you? And how are they influencing you? Positive and negatively. Like to take a sober look at that is really good. And then to look at our own lives and go, how am I influencing other people? Positively and negatively. I think God wants us to be in deep, meaningful friendships, starting with him and then going out to everybody else or to lots of others as well. We need his help to do it.